hurrah, once again the Greg Proops Film Club convenes here at Hollywood's most salubrious cinematic palace located right here in the overpriced athletic shoe district. The Cine family, ladies and gentlemen. The echoey, hollowy, yes, you may applaud there. Thank you. Thank you. This is the live crowd. You'll be joining us uh, via the magic of audio, but I can assure you there's uh, lots of people here tonight. It's in fact sold out for this fantastic showing of Summertime's most celebratory movie, The Frothy 1995 Confection, devised by the divine Amy Heckling. Clueless is what we're picturing tonight here. Yeah, buddies. It's on like Grey Poupon and Donkey Kong. Uh, we're, uh, there's a, 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 an echoey, boomy, full Mercury Theater Orson Wellesian richness to tonight's broadcast because uh, the Cine family and their infinite wisdom being a nonprofit organization here in LA, which means that someone has a boat. Uh, <laughs> used to have uh, in front of the regular theater seats a, a dazzling variety of couches which were highly unhygienic and yet wildly comfortable as the evening wore on. And the members, I believe, had access to them. You could also pay more to sit in the couch in a kind of a loge situation here. Um, but they never checked with the authorities here in Los Angeles whether that was uh, something they could do legally. And so uh, the couch police arrived several weeks ago and in what can only be described as a daring pre-dawn raid. They were wearing Shakos uh, that had little mattresses on them. And uh, when they arrived, uh, the entire staff here at Santa Family was surprised. In other words, the backyard, everyone had to put out their cigarette and come inside. So it was quite a scene, I can assure you. Uh, the noise of the sirens mingled with the cries of the innocent as the sofas were wrested from the house and tossed summerly into the alley into the waiting hands of indigents who swooped down on them and resold them immediately to stores on Fairfax Avenue. <laughs> so the tragedy now being somewhat over, we can all sit back and repose and gaze across what can only be described as a gulf of despair between me and the audience. <laughs> what, used to be a rich, fulsome relationship between me and the crowd in the darkening room as the light shone upon us uh, is now uh, uh, been removed some 100 yards uh, hence. And uh, we, this is our deflate gate, ladies and gentlemen. It's, uh, we, we, uh, we've been penalized. Uh, we're going to have to sit this one out like the Russian Olympic team. Uh, you are listening to us from afar if you're here live tonight. Uh, if you're listening, of course, in your earbuds, I'm far too loud and nasal as per usual. Uh, uh, the people who are attending here tonight, this is July 19th, 2016. Um, this picture premiered July 19th, uh, 1995. It is the 21st. This movie has reached drinking age here tonight, and uh, we're here to celebrate that fact. They do underage drink in the movie, which is awesome. Uh, there's a very famous, you'll look for it later in the picture, a, a tragic wine spilling scene. <laughs> the stakes are high, and so are they when this scene occurs. Uh, you, you'll want to watch for that. And, uh, but the, uh, uh, it was an instant smash, and by the end of the night, it was the number one picture in America, and then had a huge weekend and made a load of money, and that's why, we, it, it's not just that it was a big hit, it's one of those wonderful coincidences and also an awesome way to spend a night uh, not watching the Republican National Convention, which is why... 
I only mention it to mention it because I wasn't going to mention it because that's why we're all here tonight. Um, if everybody watched last night, it was an infamous night. By the time this broadcast goes out, it'll of course be ancient history, meaning the Trooniverse will have forgotten about it because Gigi Hadid will have pulled some madcap antic in the Antilles. And there's certain to be a new app that sweeps everybody's imagination into the dustbin for the weekend, putting, upsetting the apple cart utterly in a Pokemon rear-entry way. <laughs> the first night of the Republican National Convention last night contained a healthy dose of misrepresentation, misogyny, grief porn, white supremacy, and chanting. And then when the poli... <laughs> The politicians were allowed on stage at the end. There was no one left in the room because they'd exhausted themselves at that point, uh, rehashing a series of lies that they cling to uh, with some sort of tenacity, like, like the last person holding a deck chair on the Titanic. They, the Republican Party believes that somehow the supremacy of aged white men is going to carry on. Um, financially, of course, it will. Uh, but. I believe that we have the diametrics now, and uh, that's why we're taking back the fucking night. Um, anybody who's thinking about wasting their vote on a third-party candidate because you're making a point, wow, what an asshole you are. Um, <laughs> the Greg Proops Film Club doesn't get into politics. I just state my case and then run along. Uh, Melania uh, Trump gave a speech last night. She's a noted uh, Slovenian actress and, uh, or ent uh, entity, and uh, she said she worked in Paris and Milan, and uh, her accent is fantastically amusing. She speaks a great deal like Natasha Fatal from the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon, which made it, I don't know if anyone else uh, had that reference going, if you're a little younger than me, perhaps Angelina Jolie from the movie Salt. This country must be protected. <laughs> I've done it before, but I'm going to do it again because it's a good joke and why not do it twice? Here's my impression of Angelina Jolie as Olympia, the mother of Alexander the Great in Oliver Stone's Alexander the Great. <clears throat> Alexander, you are refined. Your father was coarse. Here's my impression of Angelina Jolie in the movie Salt. Alexander, your father was coarse. You are refined. <laughs> it turns out Melania Trump uh, gave a, a speech that uh, uh, Michelle Obama had given before, which is a faux pas at the Republican National Convention, considering that uh, the slogan of the convention is make America safe again, brackets, parentheses, invisible ink, against black people. and that his slogan is, um, make America great again, brackets, since the black guy was elected. And uh, so, uh, and you don't need to go that quiet, it's okay. <laughs> it's a podcast after all, really, what, what could happen? If there, uh, as Mark Maron once said, if there is an FBI agent attached to the show, he's the saddest FBI agent. <laughs> and the highest, by the way. <laughs> you get to see fucking clueless. <laughs> Hour 10, I went to Cantor's. <laughs> the kibitz room was bustling before I attended the, sh the leftist show of Greg Proops' film club. I believe he was showing Clueless as a cover for his anti-gun position. <laughs> I 
Hour 11, I stood in line. There were lots of girls. I hadn't seen them before. 11.15, I saw a man in an expensive baseball cap walk by of the colored persuasion. The cap, I mean. <laughs> so uh, I, that's why I appreciate you coming out tonight. Uh, we could spend our time in so many ways, but really wasting it here with uh, this fantastic dialogue and uh, uh, this tremendous premise. Um, the teen movie is, of course, a staple uh, of the pictures. Uh, in the World War II, uh, they had the G Judy and Mickey, right? And they would always put on a show in a barn. And somehow Mickey would go over to Judy's house and he couldn't get a date and he'd ride a jalopy and he'd have a funny turned up hat and shit. But the thing was they could both dance like the very devil themselves. And I was watching That's Entertainment. It's a movie from 1973 that's a compilation of old MGM musicals and Mickey comes out and they show a clip where he's leaping in the air for five full minutes and he goes, <laughs> They cut back to him in the present day in 1973 wearing his plaid jacket and his, yellow, his ochre, um, you know, uh, turtleneck with the mid How did we ever have that much energy? And it was like, <laughs> methamphetamine. <laughs> if there were two stars that we knew were on speed, it's Mickey and Judy. That's how you had that much energy. You were 17 and you were given a shamanistic dose of fucking speed before Busby Berkeley trotted your fucking well-rehearsed ass out on the pitch and you threw down like Gene Kelly's fucking satanic other. That's how you fucking had that much energy. You were young on the finest drugs the world had to offer during World War II. Imagine, because now we have sophisticated drugs that have been tailored and a new drug's invented every day and there's a guy in a warehouse in Holland and he's recombining, you know, fucking different strands and making, you know, Molly 15 and Meow Meow 45 and, you know, Kit Kat Kale Unguent fucking 900 licorice based fucking 95 overseas little box. And, but in the 40s, imagine, it was a fucking dose of some sort of lethal shit that they just fucking wended off with some other, you know, other kind. Well, I'll well, put it with some uh, baking powder. We, we call it Comtron. The Nazis were well known to be hepped up on amphetamine, which gave them the energy to pursue the war. I mean the high command, of course, Goebbels and Goering and all them. You, you can't maintain that level of fucking genocidal insanity without some help. <laughs> kind of turning into a Republican National Convention speech right now. <laughs> what I'm getting at is this. Let's make drugs great again. <laughs> high dosage, potent. Now, who am I zooming? This is a great era for drugs. I mean, it's not the 70s or the 80s. Those were fun. My wife was always like, I, I didn't get into quaaludes. And I was like, I didn't, cheers. I didn't, uh, I didn't get into quaaludes that much. I took a few. Um, and they made you feel real drunk. They, they were strong. Um, and they were giant too, which gave it an extra frisson of excitement. By the way, there's a, um, one of those bread hasps from the supermarket that holds the plastic of the bread uh, in, the, in its long plastic bag together so that it doesn't grow stale. There's a bread hasp underneath the bottle in this elegant, and to show you how awesome the Cine family is, a stack of paper plates. <laughs> 
This is, I'm taking you backstage. <laughs> this is like the Haunted Mansion now. Your cadaverous pallor betrays an aura foreboding. Could it be you sense a disquieting metamorphosis? Yeah, that's to protect the inside of the glo globe. Which, by the way, is decorated with cherubim and uh, seraphim and uh, all manner of uh, 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 gay, straight, and uh, otherwise pansexual, trident-wielding and uh, arrow and uh, bow-wielding winged creatures are flying on the inside of this thing. I have no idea why I've had this prop for three years now. I see it every month and I love it. One day I'm going to steal it like those fuckers stole the couches the other night. Sit down, lady. <laughs> There's nowhere to sit. <laughs> Everybody stand up. Uh, yeah. So uh, it wasn't that I was a, I just had the quaaludes occasionally. The thing about psychedelics was, uh, like acid and mushrooms, is if you went to the movies, you had to counter the claustrophobia with the flickering of the screen. And I remember seeing a picture that I have no idea why I went to see this movie. Obviously, we had nothing to do and nowhere to go. Uh, a, a movie with George Burns called Oh God, where George Burns plays God, and so God is a Jewish guy with a golf cap who's 100, and John Denver, John Denver, the, the folk singer from the 70s, or whatever you would describe him as, the country pop. John Denver was wildly popular. He tragically perished, but uh, uh, he was insanely popular, like ABBA in the 70s, inexplicably. Uh, John Denver uh, uh, almost strictly sang about uh, pancakes, which I, and things like that. Life is old, they're older than the trees. No, what was his big one? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, man. He was born in the summer of his 27th year. A coming home, no vibrato, you're white, to a place he'd never been before. He left yesterday behind him. Yeah, I had to cheat that one. <laughs> Um, the fire around, the, what is it, sitting around the campfire and everybody's high. Oh yeah, it was the 70s. I think I was 11 or 12. That was a groovy record. Uh, anyway, we took mushrooms and then we went to see that. And uh, all I remember was there was a lot of scenes with a lot of white in them because George Burns kind of enters from the ethosphere. And I remember tweaking like a dog during that part and going like, oh my God, the screen is flickering massively. Is this me? And then looking around in the theater in like San Mateo and everybody's cool. And I'm like, huh, it's me. <laughs> I have to tell you one thing. I would never recommend, I would never recommend, I would never tell you to watch the movie, oh God. <laughs> but I saw it on mushrooms. And if you can be on mushrooms to see it, it's much improved. <laughs> Mushrooms do nothing to diminish the humor of Oh God. There was a sequel, which was called Oh God, comma, You Devil. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> get the fuck out of town and send me a candy gram. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there was a little Franchisian 
Francescan uh, franchise going on there. Sadly, um, Clueless did not spawn a sequel of movies, but it did spawn an awesome TV show. Um, however, without Alicia Silverstone. Um, I'm gonna go, I don't usually talk about the picture that much, but I think this one's worth talking about. One, I'm either ashamed or chuffed beyond measure that in the several years we've been um, conducting the Greg Proops Film Club, and uh, my wife Jennifer, of course, is the uh, main programmer at the film club. In other words, we watch what she wants to watch. Um, <laughs> this might be the first picture directed by a woman that we've shown. Uh, I, yeah, I know. Um, I, I meant to show... Um, uh, uh, um. No, no, it isn't. We showed Point Break. We showed Point Break two years ago. That's the other one, Catherine Bigelow. We're gonna get on that. Uh, in any case, hooray, hurrah for Amy Heckerling, who um, also made the, the bitchin' McChicken um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is um, one of the most beautifully cast movies um, of, that, of the late 80s. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is the jock. And then later, of course, Forrest Whitaker goes on to not only be a, a, a quite a good director, but um, that astounding performance in King of Scotland where he got the Oscar. And um, coming from uh, Fast Times where he's given a one-dimensional role where he basically growls. Uh, and I believe raises his hands above his head several times. Um, yeah, you know, like that. Uh, and also Sean Penn, and the only time that he attempted humor in his whole career. <laughs> and it's a complete touchdown, right? Like, uh, it's, it's Bill and Ted funny. He is really fucking magnificent in that picture. Um, Clueless is after that, and she made uh, Look Who's Talking and Look Who's Talking too, as well. So she was fucking A. She was on fire at the time. It didn't get made as easy as you uh, think. Tonight being the anniversary and all, I thought we'd commemorate it. Um, with a, there was a book that came out last year called As If, The Oral History of Clueless, as told by Amy Heckling, the cast and the crew. Um, the name is inspired. I'm joking, of course. Um, but, but, but direct. Uh, um, this part I think you might enjoy. Amy Heckling's grandparents were like Sharon Josh. How so? Studio executives were concerned Sharon Josh's, Josh's relationship would read as too incestuous. But Heckling couldn't really see it. The thing is, she said, my grandparents were stepbrother and stepsister. Their parents had married after the deaths of their respective spouses, so her grandparents were teenagers when they met. She said, I mean, it's the Jewish ghetto. You don't leave a woman out on the street because she has no money and how will she feed the kids? Widowers marry widows and that's how it is and their respective children are not related. Uh, I love that because um, they're not related in the movie. Uh, I remember the first million times we watched it together, I would say to Jennifer, ooh, gross, they're like stepbrothers. And she's like, no, nobody's related. And I'd be like, but how does it work? I'm thin, I'm, I'm, I'm thick. <laughs> um, Amy Herkeling wanted Alicia Silverstone because of the Aerosmith video, particularly Crying, if you remember that one. Yeah. Which has, yeah, fucking A. Uh, this, by the way, tonight's show is not only uh, for the death of the Republican Party, which we're sp spilling some 40 dogs for. Um, this one's for Joe Perry, who we hope uh, returns soon from his uh, sojourn into unhealthitude. Um, Joe Perry is in the group Aerosmith. He's the guitar player. And uh, if I'm ever made president, which I discuss on my other podcast, The Smartest Man in the World, which you can, of course, download for free, as you can this on GreatMusic.com, um, one of the first things I'm going to do is erect a statue to Aerosmith. I know it's not a big legal point or whatever. It's just something America needs to do. Just so you don't harsh and think that everything I'm going to do in the first 100 days is a drag. Something on the agenda that's before that 
is we will no longer sing the national anthem at public events. We will all choose an Aretha Franklin song, vote on it. Yeah, thank you. So it's not all Aerosmith, but in this case it is. I was watching an Aerosmith video of crying. That was the first video she was in and I fell in love with her. My friend Carrie Frazier, who's a casting director, was casting it. This is when they were at Fox, they moved to Paramount, blah, blah, blah. You have to see this girl in the crush. Mm, yeah. And I was like, no, I want the Aerosmith girl. <laughs> Turns out, huh? how fucking clueless is that? <laughs> they were both in the room together and Carrie went, oh no, you've got to see this girl in the crush. And Amy went, no, I love the girl in crying. And then, oh my God, <laughs> it's the same girl. And we both wanted her. Several other high profile. This part's gonna, I think, flip a little of your um, John Denver flapjack. <laughs> Several other high profile, I love show business writing. Several other high profile actresses were considered for the role. Um, they didn't all audition, but Heckerling was also encouraged to consider Carrie Russell, um, who I believe she describes in one interview as, remember when that girl cut her hair and everyone got so angry? <laughs> It was during the show Felicity, or as Mad TV parodied it in the day, Intensity. <laughs> Thank you for remembering the 90s. Angelina Jolie, who was uh, discarded by the casting director, but then um, when the movie Gia came up, that was the casting director put her in that. So uh, everything turned out okay. And <laughs> since then, uh, you know, the, the Nobel Prize, the altruism, everything, it's been fantastic. Well, she hasn't won a Nobel Prize, but she will. And, uh, and Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm not going to say anything. As Mick Jagger once said, very diplomatic, you see. By the way, Mick Jagger's having a baby. Uh, well, he's not, but a vessel. A Jagerian vessel that he had a, an assignation with. I don't, I don't hazard to uh, uh, um, characterize Mick Jagger's, um, you know, loves and losses. So let's just say that he was with a woman. Um, she's in her late 20s, I believe. So first of all, ick. And they're also propagating. So second of all, wow. Mick Jagger's penis has an eye patch and there's bite marks in it and chips out of it and there's like a splinter in it that can't be removed or the blood flow will stop and there's, am I wrong? There was tile work done in it in the 70s and part of it's been removed. There was a grill from the early 2000s that's on the front of it and that's been removed, you know what I'm saying? Mick Jagger's dick has a gold tooth. And leers priapically. Whereas Roger Ailes recently, no. Um, Lauren Hill was considered for the role of Dion. Dion is uh, played by, uh, quite delightfully, by Stacey Dash. Um, Stacey Dash uh, has a, a fantastically. Um, colorful career, a colorful stance after the movie Clueless. Um, and Stacy said, I knew it was my role. 
Uh, they considered Lauren Hill, but she got it. And, uh, and more's the better. Her and um, Alicia Silverstone really do have some delightful bubbly chemistry. Uh, let's see here. Brecken Meyer did his own uh, skateboarding stunts as Travis, and he injured himself shooting the halfpipe scene. This part's the cutest one of all. And it's going, I think everyone in the uh, room is going to buy a kitten after they hear this. <laughs> Paul Rudd bought everyone gifts when the shooting wrapped. He got everyone a necklace with their name written on a grain of rice. <laughs> I love you, bro. <laughs> and you put Gregory. <laughs> love you, bro. And then a bro hug. One arm, I'm not a queer. <laughs> that one was the cutest. Alicia Silverstone had 63 costume changes. Yeah, watch for it. <laughs> Here's the game. Every time she changes costume, you take a shot. <laughs> Here's the caveat to this game. You have to play with Kate Moss. She's the only human on earth that can play this game the whole way through. Because you're gonna do a bump after every shot. And that way you'll be able to do the next shot. Cher's yellow plaid skirt was an original Jean-Paul Gaultier. It was one of the few pieces uh, Mona May, that's the costume director, had any budget. Um, and then I like this one. She got to keep most of her wardrobe, but before you get totally jealous, you should know that she thinks she gave it all away. And I love that she thinks she gave it all away. <laughs> that is so Cher. Um, this one is fantastic. Paul Rudd wore a lot of his own clothes, like the Amnesty International t-shirt. <laughs> In any case, understand that uh, everyone has uh, done a riff off this movie. That in my estimation of all of the uh, Jane Austen pictures, and of course there's a new Whit Stillman Jane Austen picture out now, all the adaptations of Jane Austen, all of the, uh, you know, uh, goes that people have taken at uh, that vaunted author. Um, this one, I think, is uh, the funniest and frothiest of all of them. Also, perfectly cast, as we've discussed here ever so briefly, and um, delightfully um, costumed, choreographed, lit. And it, it really has all of the elements. Also, unlike Point Break, which hilariously has the worst soundtrack of any great movie, um, uh, Clueless has a, quite a wild soundtrack, including such 1995 classic groups as General Public and Supergrass. So yeah, fucking stick around. Uh, there's no Dinosaur Jr. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but this is the one I wanted to leave on. Because it's the anniversary, uh, I was reading Vogue today. Um, strike pose, there's nothing to it. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, Alicia Silverstone, we love you. Um, a wide headband, and this is in, from Vogue's article, which was the lasting um, cosmetic and uh, fashion uh, contributions of the movie Clueless. 
A wide headband is the hair equivalent of a Chanel bag. Oh, yeah, don't scoff, monkey children, because this shit, no, this shit gets deep right now. Clueless, most adored accessory. I know what you're gonna say. I was gonna say it too. Not knee socks. There's a lot of knee socks in this movie. But rather, the girlish headbands featured in every panning shot, which just might be the most classic look of all time. I give you, from 1995, the Oscar-winning, Golden Globe Award-winning, best film ever. The greatest summertime movie that we're all about to enjoy together, Amy Heckerling's classic, Clueless, hooray.